Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. If you've ever read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, you probably remember one of the most memorable scenes he presents in that book. It's at the beginning of the first chapter. His father was an evangelist. And he says this about his father. He says, For me as a boy, one of the most gripping illustrations my fiery father used in evangelism was the story of a man converted in old age. The church had prayed for this man for decades. He was hard and resistant, but this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. At the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and took my father's hand. They sat down together on the front pew of the church as the people were dismissed. God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ, and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him from sobbing and saying as the tears ran down his wrinkled face, and what an impact it made on me to hear my father say this through his own tears. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. He was talking about his life. It's a bittersweet story because that older man is in paradise today. No regret there. Today, through the blood of Jesus Christ, all of his sins, all of his waste, all of his neglect is completely forgiven like the thief upon the cross. That day, the day of his departure from this world, he entered into paradise on the basis of the works of Christ and not his own. That's the sweetness of it, but there is a bitter part too. Because what that man did or did not do in this life mattered. And he realized that he had spent decades on this earth and had done nothing profitable for the kingdom, but just the reverse. I've wasted it. Brothers and sisters, I do trust that your faith is planted firmly on the crosswork of Jesus Christ. That you believe that you will experience a resurrection on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Based nowhere else but in Him. Your faith is focused on Christ and you therefore have the forgiveness of all of your sins. But at the same time, what we do in this life matters. Before we get to paradise, it matters. And it is possible for you as a genuine Christian to say at the end of your life, I've wasted it. And of course, as your pastor and your friend, and your co-believer and co-laborer in the gospel over my dead body, whatever is necessary for us to do so that you don't get to the end of your life and have to say, I've wasted it, that we will do through prayers, through toils, through preaching, through many labors. Don't you want to come to the end of your life, enter into paradise, and hear your master say to you, well done good and faithful servant. You, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, which was your life here. 
I will set you over much in the life to come. Enter into the joy of your master. How you live, how you serve now matters for eternity. It matters forever. What you do today when you leave here, you go to lunch, you spend time with friends and family, what you do, what you say, the intentions of your heart matter not just for now, but they matter forever. As the Apostle Paul said of himself, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. You might wonder how to know if you're wasting your life. That matters quite a lot. How do you know? And most of us will just look around at the believers around us and compare ourselves with them. Am I at least as zealous and energetic and godly as they are? Don't do that. Not only does that make you either proud or despairing, but it's not a good measure because it's basing your own life on the accident of whoever happens to be around you, whether zealous, not zealous. There's a better way for you to know if you are wasting your life as a Christian or not. And that better way is given to us in this text, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. That's what this passage is about. It is a call here at the end of Galatians for every single one of us to examine our own lives and our own works as Christians so that we do not waste our life. So let's look at this, Galatians 6. We're starting in verse 3. Four. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The heart of Paul's appeal last week, seen especially in verse 2, was that you would bear the burdens of other Christians and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if you look at our text today, it begins with four. Meaning what Paul says today, starting in verse 3, is built upon what he said in verse 2. And what he said in verse 2 was, bear one another's burdens. That's the command, fulfill the law of Christ by burden bearing, by sacrificially coming up under the burden of your brothers and sisters around you here. You come up under their burden that's crushing them, and you help them to carry that burden along. It's hard, it hurts your back, but you do it because you love them, as we saw at the end of Galatians 5, because that leads the list of the fruit of the Spirit, is the love that we have for each other. So in love, you come, you bear that burden, although it's sacrificial, although it's difficult, and in doing so, in that love that we demonstrate to each other, we fulfill the law of Christ. So when our text today starts with four, that's in the background because what he's going to say in our text today is there is a way to be nobody. Don't judge me. That is what the passage literally says. If you think you're someone, but you are actually no one, you're nobody, you're tricking yourself. But that is based, as we'll see on verse 2. If you live your life in such a way that you are not burden-bearing, 
It's in the text. You're nobody. And what we're going to look at today is how not to be that. <laughs> we don't want to be nobody, or to put it maybe more mildly as I'll do in my outline today, we don't want the work of our life in the end to be nothing work. It's nothing. Wasted. No. We don't want our life at the end to be filled with nothing work. We want it to be filled with, we'll call it something work. Stuff that's something. Stuff that has substance. Stuff that matters. Stuff that's not a waste. So that is how we'll look at this text today. Verses 3 through 5. First, the nothing work that we have to avoid. And then the something work that we want to fill our lives with. So let's look first at what we're going to call nothing work. Really, he's not talking about your work being nothing. He's talking about us being nothing, shockingly. But we'll call this nothing work. And look, verse 3 puts it so bluntly here. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, most literally, none of you are nothing, nor can you be nothing. You are at least a human. You are at least a person. So he's not speaking on that most literal level that you're nothing. You are something in that sense. But this is an idiom in the original Greek, and it's one that we have in English as well. When we say, boy, that was really something. Well, everything's something. But what you mean is that or that person who is really something, they're important. They're effective. They're impressive. They're noteworthy. Take note. That's something. And that's the way he's speaking in this verse. So here we have an individual Christian who in his own mind is really something. He seems to himself to be important, effective, doing the Lord's work, living a useful, fruitful, ideal Christian life. But he's nothing. In other words, he's wrong. That's why the end of the passage says, if he thinks that, he deceives himself. So there's a reality and there's what he thinks. Which is why some of the claims today that we can alter reality by believing hard enough or by speaking a different reality into existence, it's not true. That's not the way Paul views it. If you in your own mind, no matter how hard you believe, I'm something, I'm something, I'm something, if in fact you're nothing, you trick yourself. That's what he's saying here. He is nothing. Now we might wonder why this person in Paul's mind is nothing. And Paul doesn't immediately say why is this person nothing? <laughs> it seems rude to call him nothing. Why is he nothing? But it's like I said before, this verse starts with four. It's built upon verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Four. If you think you're something, you're nothing. You're tricking yourself. The person who is nothing, or as we'll say it, who does nothing work, is the person who does not, in love, bear the burdens of others. Because we saw in verse 2, that's to fulfill the law of Christ. So if you don't do that, you're not fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of Christ is how we Christians live our life. You're not doing that. So what does it matter what else you're doing if you're not doing that? That's the essential thing. That's why Paul can say, if someone is not in love, bearing the burdens of others, sacrificially serving, 
Then that person is nothing, doing nothing work. And if you live your life that way, at the end of it, you will be right to say, I've wasted it. What makes a person nothing and makes his work nothing work is a lack of sacrificial love that leads to bearing the burdens of others. But remember in our text, what's interesting is that this person thinks he's something. Or she may think she is something. You might say, oh, how, how did that come to pass? How did this person deceive himself or herself? But you know from experience, it's very easy to do. It's very easy for anyone to think we are something when we are nothing in the Christian life. Because burden-bearing is not, for most of us, the first thing we think when we are imagining a great Christian. When we imagine someone we think of as someone in the kingdom, who do you think of? You probably think of teachers. You probably think of teachers. You probably think of church leaders, of missionaries, pioneering missionaries. It's probably what you're thinking of in your mind. There's something. You know, you read their biographies. There's something. Why? Because the work that they've done as Christians is just more noticeable. It's out in front of everybody. I'm teaching here out in front of all of you. And you may be tempted to think, well, this is the important, this is the something work that I'm doing right here. And the work that you've done in just visiting a shut-in, bearing her burden, bearing his burden this week, that doesn't really matter. That's the natural way we think. That's wrong. <laughs> that is so wrong. And that is what he's going against even in this text. Because nothing work, this is one of its characteristics, is usually showy. That's why the self-deception happens. It's usually, like I said, out front, visible, obvious. And so we think that's something, but it can really be nothing. If love is not behind it. You might remember a great example of this comes to us in Acts chapter 8 when we encounter Simon the Magician. Such an interesting character. Before the gospel came to Simon, he was there in Samaria. This is what we read about him. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. <laughs> this is the interesting part. Saying that he himself was somebody great. He thought he was something. In this case, something great. Somebody great. And everyone, it tells us in that text, was paying attention to him. They all agreed, oh, wow, you are very great. And they were saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So he thought, Simon thought, I'm great. I'm something. The other people looking at him thought, he's something. Why did they think that about him? Because of his magical arts. Because he amazed them by what he was doing. But was he something? No, no, no. Simon was nothing. Simon was practicing magic, clearly forbidden in the Old Testament scriptures. He was a magician. And even when he seemed to have some repentance from that later on, we learned that it was out of greed. He actually wanted to pay to buy the power of the Holy Spirit so he can confer it by the laying on of hands. He was a greedy man. He was a magician. We don't know how Simon turned out. But he thought he was something. They thought he was something. He was nothing. 
He did nothing work. There's no legacy of Simon except as a warning for all time for Christians not to be like Simon the magician. But the thing is, the nothing that Simon was was a very showy nothing. It says, they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Some actions are more amazing. When you hear someone preaching like this, that is the danger. It might just be the elocution, the ability the person preaching has to speak well and go, wow, that's great. That's, I couldn't get up there and do that. That's really something. Maybe, but maybe not. But we're all bent naturally to think that's the something. It's the public stuff. If other people, large numbers of people are influenced, and if lots of people see it, then that's something. That is not the Bible's definition of something. But many, many Christians have been fooled about themselves or about other great leaders in the church. They've been fooled into thinking just because there's a massive following, just because this person has a platform, therefore they are something. There are times when a church will set up a pastoral church search committee and they will go looking for a pastor. And it doesn't always happen this way, but there are times when the search committee has its priorities wrong. And they go just looking for a pastor who can what? Grow the church. And they don't mean in the fruits of the Spirit. But it's meant in numbers. We can bring more people into the church. It's the statistics. If we can get more people, more cars in the parking lot, more people in here. It's usually they go looking for someone who has a charismatic personality. Again, not meaning filled with the Holy Spirit, but charismatic in a secular sense. A big personality, demanding personality, very impressive up front. Can get people through the doors, get them plugged in here. And very often, one of the prime qualities looked for in a leader is they get things done. And for us as Christians, we're human, and we can be tempted as well to think, if somebody can come in, teach, lead a church, and get things done, now that's something. But if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he's just tricking himself. The greatest excesses we see of this are in the prosperity gospel, where you do have these leaders who stand up, they wear a nice suit, there are bright lights, and there's a lot of money flowing into the ministry. So things look expensive because they are, and we judge based on what we see. And like Simon, many of these prosperity teachers, they take in all of this money and they want to almost buy the Holy Spirit, that they can lay on hands and the Spirit works. They claim to be able to do amazing things like heal and fix your financial problems. But if anyone thinks they are something, even if lots of people think they're something, but they're nothing, they deceive themselves. We have to remember for ourselves as well, Matthew chapter 7, the warning that Jesus gave not to do nothing work, when he said, on that day of judgment that's coming, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And if you set your Christian life up next to those deeds, your life looks boring. This is the showy, exciting work. This looks like it's something. And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away, you workers of lawlessness. My prayer is that not one of us will hear that in regard to ourselves. It's a temptation for us to think that of teachers, for us to think it of ourselves. 
We have to remember what it took even the great prophet Samuel some time to learn, that the Lord sees not as man sees. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we are grateful for teachers and leaders in the church. We're grateful for those who have more public exposure. But it doesn't mean anything. Paul probably, when he writes this, has in mind the Judaizers, those false teachers he's opposing, who are not even genuine believers. But as he's opposing them, they're teachers. They're influential. They've come in. They look like something. Think of the super apostles we find in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. They're something. They speak well. They're eloquent. They're teachers. And people are attracted to them. Not like little Paul who's poor and imprisoned. And maybe has a unibrow if church history is correct. He's contemptible in his speech. He's not impressive. He looks like nothing. They look like something. Because they've got a big following. But if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he's just tricking himself. So we see, first of all, that nothing work is very showy. Just because you are doing Christian work that others see, that's more public, more visible, big ministries, maybe teaching, preaching, leading, that might be your calling. But just because you're doing that doesn't mean you're doing something work. You can very easily be doing nothing work there. One other aspect of this nothing work that we have to take into consideration is given in verse 4 there. He says, let each one test his own work. Let's see if it's something or not. Test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. It's an interesting turn there. But what Paul seems to be saying is this. It's hard for us to do work, especially burden-bearing work. But it sure feels good to get credit. <laughs> Would you like getting credit for doing work? And so some people will take the shortcut of not actually doing legitimate Christian work, not actually picking up the burdens that they find around them, but waiting until other people have done the work and then stepping in to get the credit. This is in effect what the Judaizers had done. That's why Paul's probably writing this. Paul is the one who went to Galatia, planted the churches in the face of opposition, gave his life, sleepless nights, prayer, preaching, gets kicked out of there, but plants these churches, writes this letter. He's still thinking and praying about them always. He's carrying the burden and it's heavy and it's hard. And in come the Judaizers. And their whole interest is just getting these converted Gentiles to become basically Jewish, get them circumcised. Why? He's going to tell us. So they can boast in their flesh. So they can go back to their Jewish kinsmen and say, look, Jewish converts who also believe in Jesus. But they're basically Jewish converts and their kinsmen will pat them on the back and give them credit. For what? Wasted effort. Nothing work. They're taking credit for what Paul has done. So we could say that nothing work, it can have to do with the work itself. That it's just showy and has no substance. But also, nothing work can be, let's call it, plagiaristic. Because plagiarism, unless it's announced like Mike did. Good job, Mike. But plagiarism in its most authentic form is when someone else has done the heavy lifting and you get the credit. You take the credit for it. Practically speaking, what's being said in this verse is you can attend a church that is very healthy 
And God's been gracious here, and you may often hear people say, wow, what a friendly, loving church. It blows my mind. It's amazing. I mean, it's true. You are such friendly, loving people. It's like, wow, God's doing something so amazing here. So you may be in a body like this, and people come in, and they speak very highly. They see burden bearing happening all the time. People here are sacrificially loving others all the time. And it is possible that you, by just being part of a fellowship like this, you associate yourself with the fellowship. Now, you might not be bearing anybody's burden. That might not even be a part of your life. You just don't do that or don't do it much because life gets busy. You're focused on sports, hobbies, work, whatever. And you really are not bearing any burdens. You're not really sacrificially loving, reaching out when it's hard, dealing with those situations. But you're in a church that does. And the easiest thing in the world for any of us is to say, well, I'm part of this church and take credit. <laughs> when someone compliments the church, you take that as a personal compliment. Well, yes, I did pick a good church, didn't I? But you're not bearing the burdens. And Paul says, no, no, you need to test your own work. You need to see, you can't rely on the work of somebody else. You can't say, well, I'm part of this tribe or this denomination that's doing this much and giving this much. Who cares? The question is, you have to test your own work. How are you bearing the burdens of others? So here's a picture of nothing work. Showy, very often showy, but if it has no substance, if it's not bearing burdens, it's nothing. Or plagiaristic, just taking credit for what others have done. Now, we didn't come this morning to be berated and reminded of uh, the dangers of nothing work, but that is the groundwork we have to lay because none of us want to waste our life. But we've laid that groundwork so we can build upon it a picture of what something work is. That's what we want to do with our life, is work that's actually something. Let's look at this in verses 4 and 5 again. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. What verse 4 commands us to do, we are doing this moment. Let each one test his own work. That's what this sermon is. That's literally what we're doing right now. But I do want to point out that he says it in a very specific way. He does not say, let Faith Bible Church as a whole test its work in a general sense. He says, let each one, that's every single one of you who names the name of Christ here, you have a responsibility to test your own work. We spend quite a bit of time <laughs> testing everybody else's work. Stop that. You are responsible for testing your own work. What does your Christian walk look like? What does your service look like? You yourself one day are going to give an account for how you spent your time. Say, I'm in Christ. There's no judgment for me. Yes, there's no judgment in the sense of condemnation. But oh, there is judgment. There is a judgment before the seat of Christ where we all, every one of us, by ourselves, will give an account for how we have lived a life. 
whether we have given ourselves to nothing work, maybe showy but no substance to it, or whether we've given ourselves to something work, every one of us will give an account. That's what he means here when he says, for each, in verse 5, will have to bear his own load. Because he talked last week about bearing each other's burdens. That means meeting each other's needs. But when he uses this other word load here, he's saying that's your responsibility as a Christian. Including to bear the loads, the burdens of other people. And you are going to have to take that load. I can't touch it. I'm your pastor and I love you. The other elders here can't touch it. Your closest friends, your spouse himself or herself cannot touch that load. That is your load. If you have a burden and it's crushing you, we'll help you. But that load is your responsibility for how you use the grace God has given you. How you, as they used to say, appropriate God's grace. How you make use of it. How you serve. How you bear the burdens of others. How you organize your calendar. How you use your money. You have to take that load of responsibility, whatever you do with it, and you have to carry it with you to that final day when you yourself will give an accounting for it. It will not just be an accounting of Faith Bible Church. It will be an accounting of you individually taking that load with you. Paul talks about this as a church leader and planter, but it applies to all of us. When he writes to the Corinthians and says, there are some people who build the church up using wood and hay and straw. And when that final day comes, and we must give an account, he says, it will be like fire. And wood, hay, and straw are all flammable. If the work you are doing is primarily nothing work, it will be gone. It won't be remembered. That includes for the showy type of work, preachers of mega churches doing what seems like something, but there's no true affection. There's no true bearing of burdens. It's burnt up. It's gone. It's not remembered. He says, if you're in Christ, you yourself will be saved, but as through fire. What does that mean? I don't know, but I don't want to know. Let's not be the sort of people doing that work to have to find out what that even means. Paul says there are other types of people who live their Christian life in such a way that they build up the church with gold, and silver, and precious stones. That is something. Wood, hay, straw, nothing burnt up and forgotten. Gold, silver, precious stones, something. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to do something work? Don't you want stuff that will last? Catch it on fire? It just purifies it. That's all it does. We all want our work as Christians to be something work. We want it to survive the judgment. If you want that, then you have to obey verse 4. Let each one test his own work. You can't just assume, of course, gold, silver, precious stones. It's me, after all. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't just assume that's how you're building. That's why scripture is full of warnings and calls like this one to test your own work, to see if it is the something work that will last, or if you just think it's something, but you're nothing. The ultimate way to test whether your work is something work, really does go back again to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What makes nothing work, nothing work, 
is it doesn't spring from the affection of love for others. It's not ultimately interested in the good of the other person for whom you're doing whatever your Christian work is. It doesn't build up the church. It's not sacrificial. It's not taking up burdens. It's just like Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have prophetic powers, that's showy stuff. <laughs> Tell you the future. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, which there are none here in Indiana, but if we went to the Rockies and I lifted that mountain by faith and I threw it into the ocean, that's showy stuff. Paul says, if I have all that and I can do all that, but have not love, quote, I am nothing. There are cult leaders who have memorized a lot more of Scripture than you have. Cult leaders who every day this last week had their quiet time. And they can recite for you large swaths, probably of Revelation, but large swaths of Scripture. They are working. You can't say it's not work. They dedicate their lives. If you remember David Koresh down in Waco, Texas in the 90s had the standoff with the FBI. He was a cult leader. And in the end, he cost the lives of all his followers, almost all of them. Do you know he would do 15-hour Bible studies? When was the last time you led a 15-hour Bible study? So if you look at that on the surface, you say, whoa, that is something. That was nothing. So how could that be nothing? 15 hours. He had large portions of Scripture memorized, instant recall. That's why people followed him. That is nothing because you know what he lacked? Love. Genuine love for those followers willing to bear the burdens of others. And I suppose that was evidence in the fact that he annulled all the marriages in his church and married whoever he wanted to marry. He did not come to serve. He came to be served. It looks like something. He got a following. It looks like something. Wow. It's nothing. Because it lacks that essential element, which is love, which is bearing each other's burdens, sacrificially caring for each other. So that's what our text calls us to do. Take that standard of love and say, let each one test his own work by this standard. Have you come to serve and not to be served? Is that what your Christian life and your Christian work is about? We all know that there are a lot of ways to do very good, even useful Christian works selfishly. Don't you know that? Oh, I hate that that's so, but it's true for all of us. We can do Christian work selfishly. You can even sacrifice in order to make someone feel indebted to you. You can bring somebody a meal to manipulate them, to do or think whatever you want them to do or think. And of course, like the Pharisees, any of us can do our Christian work mainly with the motivation of being seen by others to receive the accolades that our hearts often want. You might do tons of Christian things, maybe even come here this morning primarily because you want to date a certain Christian guy or girl. So there are all kinds of selfish ways to do the work of God, Christian labor. And on the surface, it'll be the same work. It'll look the same in many ways. But here is what Paul says. 
Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Why does he need to disclose the purposes of your heart before you receive your commendation? Because that's mainly the way you're being judged. Did you act sacrificially in love? Did you bear the burdens of others because you care about them? That is something work. Anything you do in love, sacrificially, for the good of others, that is something. Not one bit of that will be wasted. It's not always going to be showy. You're not going to see it on Fox News or on CNN. It's going to be you showing up at small group when you just don't want to that day. Has that ever happened? Can I say that's happened for me? And I lead a small group, and there are times I don't want to be there. Sorry, small group. But there are just times I don't want to be there. And you know if you're part of one, unless you're so extroverted, that's probably been true of you. And on those days, when you show up to small group, and you may feel you have nothing to contribute, but just your presence being there is an encouragement to the other believers, that's not going to be on the news. That's not going to be the talk of the town. But that is going to last the fire of judgment. That is gold. It doesn't look like gold. Yeah, it's not showy. But you did that because you loved the believers in your small group. You loved them. You go visit a shut-in. You go stay with that person. You come. You have some trivialities. You talk about the weather, whatever. It's rainy. It's whatever. You talk for a little bit. Then you talk about Christ and what you've been learning. Then you talk about some other stuff. And then you leave. You pray, and then you leave. Nobody's going to talk about that except for Christ on the day when you stand before him to give an account for all you have done. And you bore the burden of that person who can't leave their house. That's the stuff that matters. That's the something work. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You did that because you loved that person. And you will have your reward. Something work includes those private prayers in your closet, door closed. <laughs> Nobody knows about those. You're just praying. Nobody sees that. Where's your reward? Your reward is that you love those people and God answers it. They might not even know that the very good week they're having is directly an answer to the prayers you privately prayed for them. That's something work. Because you love them, you did that. Or again, you gave money to a missionary in such a way that your right hand gave it and your left hand didn't know. You didn't go publicly announce it on the street corners. And that money that you could have spent on improving your house or on a nice dinner with your family or on you name it, but that money goes, it's gone, it's not yours. You give it. And it is to help a missionary reach people you'll never meet in this life. That's something work. By definition, hardly anybody knows about it. God knows about it. And that is something work. Now, you may be shocked as we come to the end here by what he says in verse 4. Let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And that is shocking to us because as Christians, we've trained ourselves 
not to boast. It's, it's kind of what we try to get good at, not boasting. And there are times when there's no room for boasting, such as in salvation. You cannot take credit for what is only God's work. By grace, you're saved through faith. It's not your doing. It is the work of God so that no one may boast. So keep not boasting about your salvation. Don't take credit, even like this passage says, for what someone else did, for what God did unilaterally. And yes, all God's work in us ultimately is the reason we do any good. That's true. But if we're going to think like Scripture thinks, there is room for boasting. In Romans 15, 17, Paul says, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And that is maybe the better way to translate. It's the same word, same idea, root word. But that's probably the better way to translate this. Boasting is always negative in English. Say, reason to boast? To take pride in. If a father has pride, feels proud of his son. Even in English, we recognize there can be something good. We're against pride, yes. But there's a way to use that word where you are proud of your son. Or even a woman steps back, she's guarding, and she takes pride in. It means she has a certain satisfaction in the work that she has done. Believer, if you are doing something work with your life, no one may notice it, no one may praise it, but you are sacrificially bearing the burdens of others, you can and should step back and be satisfied in the work that God's given you to do. To see it, even though the world doesn't care about it, but to see it as this is the satisfying life. You can boast in, or let's say take pride in, the work that God has given you. Don't take credit for other people's work, but just the work that God has given you to do. You can know it's something work. You can be satisfied in it and find a great contentment in it. Brothers and sisters, as we close we are here on this earth now, but we will not be on this earth long. Each of us, Scripture says, will give an account of himself to God. By the blood of Christ, all our deficiencies will be made up for, but you do have a load of your responsibility for loving sacrificially the believers around you. And may God grant for each of us that we test our work, make sure that we are bearing the burdens and sacrificially loving his people so that on that last day we don't have to say I've wasted it, but we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant.